Welcome back to Sheep Stuff You Should Know. This is uh, episode four, season two. I'm joined today. This is Ryan Mahoney. I'm Ryan Mahoney talking. I'm out of Rio Vista, California, taking a break from the herding duties, uh, which are mostly driving around looking at things, making lists. But today I'm taking a break and I'm talking to my good friend up out of Auburn, California. What's your What's your name? Who are you? I, I was just wondering who the heck I was today. I'm Dan Macon, a pure flying mule sheep company in the, the foothills where we've had some rain. Yeah, pretty good. How much rain did you get from all the storms? Add everything together and inflate it a little bit. <laughs> that's the true sheep guy way, right? Right. It's worse wow. than fishing. That's right. That's right. We got uh, we got about five and a half inches over oh, the course nice. of the last week. Of that five and a half inches, how much went in the ground? You know, a good proportion of it. I, what was really surprising to me last week, um, after it quit raining, I was out moving sheep and we had no mud. Wow. So it, the, the ground was pretty thirsty. That's impressive. How much did you guys get down there? I think we're between, I think we're around three in Revista and four up in Dixon. Oh, okay. Okay. Moss or menos. It could be, I don't know. Depends on what yeah. gauge you're looking at. Yeah. How yeah. you're rounding how how good your rounding skills are. I went to public school, so I, I tend too. I tend to round pretty pretty roundly. I, I, I round aggressively. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Aggressively to my benefit. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. Well, cool. How's uh you ready to lamb? You're what, two weeks out, one week out? Yeah, about two weeks, two, two and a half weeks. And so when this episode drops, you will just be starting. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. This, so this yep. is the third. So you go 17th, you'll be lambing. We'll be lambing. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. You ready? Yeah. Actually, I am. I am. Yeah. I got the lambing kit put together and, and, uh, I think we're all set up, you know, now we got some rain and so we'll have some grass growing. So. <laughs> you can sleep and get ready for it. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause I won't be sleeping much once we start. How, how physical is lambing for you? Oh, good question. You know, it's a lot of walking the way we do it. Um, you know, now we've all got those smartphone pedometers on our phones and it's not unusual when we're lambing for me to be walking six or seven miles a day. Yeah. So it's good. Yeah, do you do you feel is there like a curve where you get in shape for it yeah. over the first couple of days and then you start getting into a routine? Yeah, and usually our first couple of lambing paddocks are on a big hill. And so it just <laughs> kicks my butt for about yeah. three days. Yeah, you do that on purpose, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's part of the sheep herder crossfit program. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Oh, How are things cool. there? Uh, you guys, you guys done weaning? Or are you still weaning some bunches? Oh yeah, yeah. We'll we'll kind of poke along at them here. Well, um, we're we got two bun two more bunches. The last two bunches on the alfalfa we're going to be weaning Friday. Okay. Um, so that'd be the fifth, and then um, and then we're probably going to wait and leave everything else and wean it later, kind of more traditionally, because mm -hmm. um, they're a little younger sheep, but then also they're um, out in the hills on the dry ground and that feed is just starting to come. And so if yeah. I wean them early, I really don't have anywhere to put them right now. Yeah. Right. And so the ewes and lambs, you gotta feed everything everywhere. So we're <laughs> just going, yeah, it's been a, it's been a challenge. I mean, it's tough now because now that, 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 um, leading up to the rain, you had 
a certain kind of nutrition. It was dry feed. Right. It was uh, hay supplementation, all that stuff. And now we got that rain. We got some warm weather and some stretches in that grass. Is the, the the makeup of that grass is changing so quickly, and that that um, kind of and then the the calves are getting bigger on the cows and the lambs are growing so the lactation demand is different um cows are being bred so there's there's all sorts of different demands and changes that are happening and it's fairly rapid and fairly critical right now and i'd say for the most part we're doing pretty good but um i certainly got a couple of bunches that we can do a hair better on and uh, i we're gonna i guess when you have trouble with a bunch what would you like if you have a bunch that's running short of feed how would you get conditioned back on those? Oh man. You know, I think at this time I, we could, when feed is short, you can't, you can't just move them to good feed. Cause that no, doesn't I exist. Think, I think you gotta, you gotta put some decent, decent roughage into them. Don't you? Mm-hmm. If your feed's short and you got, I think the feed's going to be washy here for, for a couple of weeks anyway. And so getting some fiber into them is probably going to be, um, a key part of that too i would think yeah i know the one of the things i like to do is shrink the bunch sizes like so if we okay. got if we got a bunch of like 60 cow calf pairs we'll take them and split them and make two bunches of 30 or a bunch of 20 and a bunch of 25 and a bunch of 25 something along those lines where we split them because it seems like it's easier to get more roughage into them when you have a smaller bunch when as a bunch grows things get pushed off. They don't all go to the same and you're not able to feed as direct. Yeah. And so that, that's one thing we try to do. Yeah. Um, and then I always, I don't know if it makes any sense to do it, but I always like putting protein tubs when the condition goes down, which increases their consumption, but improves the digestibility, doesn't it? Well, it, it improves the consumption of dry forage of the, the high cellulose forage. Um, what I found when I put protein out on green feed like this is that the sheep will just walk away from it. They don't, yeah. they don't really want it. I think the I think cows, we of, do it for the cows more than yeah. the, we don't do it for the sheep really, but the cows, they really, do they go after them. Yeah. Molasses? Yeah. Part of that's cause that's cow crack. Well, and I think, I think maybe what they're telling you at that point is that they're getting energy out of them. The yeah. protein's probably sufficient in the green feed, but they're needing needing that energy, which yeah. they're getting out of the sugar. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it is cow crack. <laughs> yeah, and if and if you're paying too much, then it's cocaine for cows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it, man, they they get after it, and it's expensive. But I don't it know is. when things are it short is. like this, though, man. And and when you have a set that loses condition, say maybe goes to a body condition score a two or something like that, uh, you you really gotta pull some levers to get some condition back on, especially if she's lactating, especially if she's trying to breed, all those kind of things. I think that's where cows are are tougher than sheep. To Big time, yeah. It's just because of their gestation period. Yep. Yep. I you know not to belabor this point, but. That, we need to think this through a little more. I think we are, what what I think we're experiencing right now is this kind of vast fluctuation between a, a, a flash short-term drought and then a flash short-term flush of feed. And and either one of them are kind of difficult to manage through. You know, we get this, this rapid growth in the forage. We don't, it gets ahead of us or it's washy versus the dry period we had where there wasn't any forage. It's just, 
it's tough to shift gears that quickly. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a little concerned about the tetany issue too. Once the, once we get into March, but yeah, well, we'll just yeah. wait and see. Best thing for tetany is actually keep the condition down a little bit, <laughs> which is kind of weird, but yeah, I don't know. The fun, the joys of livestock. Every year is different. Every, every year is different. <laughs> every year is different. And there's no right way to do it because gosh yep. dang it, at the end of the day, it's biology. Yep. Yep. Um, so exactly. today's topic. Yeah. It has nothing to do with what we've just talked about. <laughs> Good. <laughs> but what I, I wanted to talk a little bit about is the kind of the the logistics and how you go about as a as a as a smaller flock operator that wants to do direct meat sales, how you go about um, navigating the infrastructure, some of the needs that maybe we can do as an industry to improve those things. And then, um, you know, what do you look for in a custom processor to really define what a good job is or, or, you know, understand what you're doing on that side. A lot of people are livestock guys, but a lot of livestock guys aren't butchers. And so to know, know all that stuff, I think is a, is a challenge for some people. And, and, um, with the growth in direct markets, I think it's a, I think it's a good timely topic. And I happen to have you, you as an expert, um, <laughs> to ask questions from. I don't know if I'm an expert, but I can make stuff up. <laughs> if you've been through it and lost money, you're professional. <laughs> <laughs> then I'm an expert. <laughs> yeah, I'm <yeah>. good. <laughs> yep. All right. Well, so, um, I guess the first question I got to kind of start this is, is, um, what what are some of the the driving regulations and needs when you have you know when you're going to do direct sales you want to sell at the farmers market or you want to sell to your neighbors what what are some of the things that force you to make sure ensure the safety of the product but then also do it in an equitable fashion and yeah. you know, what what are some of those general things so i think there's some there's some interesting differences between um, between lamb and some of the other proteins in that regard, but but kind of to start with lamb since that's since this is sheep stuff, um, you know at the moment in or in California and, and most of the rest of the country where there's not state inspected processing facilities, for me to legally sell you an individual piece of lamb cut and wrapped that lamb has to have been harvested and fabricated in a USDA inspected facility. If you're gonna to come to the farmer's market, buy lamb from me, that lamb has to have gone through a USDA plant at slaughter and at cut and wrap. And the purpose behind that or the intent behind that is what? So there's the, the stated intent and then kind of the um, behind the scenes intent that, <laughs> yeah um, you know the answer both then. and they're yeah they're both they're this both. is the benefit this is the benefit of working for free dan is it doesn't matter what you say <laughs> there's no there's there, we don't have any advertisers that are going to get mad at us exactly, exactly. <laughs> we just have to go to meetings and hear complaints so that's, <laughs> that's all right so the you know the, the stated intent and i think this is really important is is food safety you know and there's there is a reason that we have a federal inspection system um, and they, they were developed, the whole food safety programs were developed out of severe outbreaks of different diseases, foodborne illnesses foodborne that illnesses. killed portions of the population. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so you it's not a, 
Yeah, it's not a crazy idea that we need some kind of food safety things. No. It, and, th and that's not even talking about the export requirements, but everything's based in the fact that you're dealing with a product and if it's not treated correctly, it can get people sick and kill them. Exactly, exactly. In fact, one of the things you'll learn when you get to work with the County Environmental Health Department to sell your meat at a farmer's market is that they call all meat products hazardous products, which <laughs> just saying, this, this is the best thing you can eat. Why do you call it hazardous? They lump you in with tires and petroleum. Huh? Exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly. I think that, you know, kind of the, the, it's not unstated, but, but the way that it's implemented because it's federal inspection, there is the assumption that selling meat is like kidnapping and that you're going to transport something across state lines. And so it has to be federal or the equivalent of federal inspection, just like kidnapping becomes a federal case. Um, and so USDA food safety inspection service is kind of the controlling entity in that, in that regard, in terms of food safety, there are some interesting exemptions for some of the other proteins. So um, there is an exemption for poultry from USDA inspection. If you're selling directly to the consumer, you can process as many as 20,000 birds a year without USDA inspection. And, and 20,000 birds would be what, three pounds a bird or how much, what does a bird weigh? If it's, if it's chicken, yeah, it'd be, say it's, say it's three, say it's six. Well, you, you get into turkeys, that's a lot of meat. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, but if you get in and say it's chickens, it's like three, four pounds. Yeah. That would say be, four pounds. So it'd be, be 80,000 pounds of meat. So that'd be one and a half, two truckloads of livestock mm -hmm. generally. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And now in California, there's also a further exemption that only applies to beef that allows um, you to market as many as five head a month using a ranch slaughter service and a custom cut and wrap service. So Amy Livestock could finish five steers a month, call the ranch butcher, have the meat shop in Rio Vista cut and wrap, and you could sell that product to an end user. Only on beef. Only on beef. Yep. And if you, um, and so, and then if, so if you say five head a week, five head a month, five, head a, five month. head a month. Okay. So then that would be five head a month times 12 months would be 60 head. Yep. Which is roughly two loads of fat cattle. Yep. A year. Yep. <clears throat> okay. And, and then see, I just learned something from you. So, so everybody's trying to figure out these equivalencies, Ryan, and they, they look at, you know, five sheep equals one cow in terms of animal units. Yeah. But you're talking about it from, from the load standpoint, from the product standpoint. And I think that's, that's probably a better way to look at the equivalencies of all these programs is to look at, at how much meat we're talking. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're talking about percentage of, I mean, if, if the true intent is to protect the food supply chain, then you know that you're basically creating an exemption which allows a percentage of that supply chain to be vulnerable. If you're right. just putting on straight, everything gets infected that doesn't go through our system hat on, you're saying, all right, we're right. gonna allow a percentage. So if you're gonna do that, you need to do it in proportion to the total that's being generated. Into the risk that you're that you're 
Yeah, because you as a society are taking that risk. And, yeah. 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 And I, I mean, I, I think direct markets are great, you know, and we need to figure out a way to expand it. One question that kind of popped in my head, you mentioned that a couple of states regulate their own. Mm-hmm. Um, how how does how do they go about doing it? Do they have more strict inspection rules than the federal inspection service, which allows them to do that? Or is it a more lenient or more? How exactly is that? I'm not probably as well versed on this as I should be, but my understanding is that they have an equal to um, mm-hmm. agreement with USDA. So USDA basically looks at the state inspection program and says this is equal to or better than what we do. Yeah. And so there's a there's kind of a blanket exemption applied to those state inspected facilities. And then how do those exemptions work their way through? How, how does, does USDA have to sign off on the California beef exemption or the poultry? Ex, I mean, the, the poultry exemption is USDA, but. Yeah, the poultry exemptions, USDA, the beef one. So that beef couldn't end up at Safeway. Yeah, it has to be direct to farmer and it can't right. cross state lines. So they're right. able to get around it because they're regulating the economy within the state. Right. Right. Okay. Right. Sorry for all the listeners out there. I get, I like to get real technical sometimes <laughs> and understand the functions behind the functions. Well, and this is such a complicated issue, Ryan. It's a it's yeah. a, it's an issue of details. It's well, and I think it's incredibly frustrating because when you you know you go out and you buy five ewes and you raise ten lambs and you're like, gosh dang it, I, I I'm going to eat four of these, but I got six others and I yeah. want to sell them to my neighbor. And why can't I sell them? I got to right. give them away. Right. And because uh, right. then you run into this wall that well, it has to be inspected by this and you know right. all that and right. And it, but I think it's important to understand that, you know, as, as important as it is to develop a way for that to happen, it's an, it's as important to understand there's a reason there's some of these things. Oh, absolutely. And I think it's also important, (coughs) excuse me, for any of us that, that are wanting to direct market to take the food safety issues very seriously. Um, And you said at the outset, you know, livestock guys aren't typically butchers. But if you're going to sell meat, you better have an understanding of, of retail product yield and the relative value of different cuts of meat and how to change up that product mix depending on the season and, and what, you know, what you're selling and who your customer base is. And I think that's the piece of it that a lot of folks that, that get into direct marketing don't understand at the outset, and maybe it can become overwhelming um, at some point, I'm, I'm overwhelmed, right? <laughs> Thankful I don't do direct marketing. <laughs> um, so that kind of jumps into kind of, you know, my, my next kind of series of questions is, so you got these, oh, actually I got to jump back. You mentioned the County health department regulates, what are they regulating and how do they fit into this equation of overall meat sales regulation? So, you know, generally the county environmental health departments regulate food service facilities and retail facilities. And so they're the ones that are making sure that products held at the appropriate temperature, that it's stored right, that it's marketed right, um, all of those types of things. So when I, when we did farmers markets, um, this is, we won't get into all the minutia of that, but once a year, an environmental health inspector would come by and want to make sure that I had proof that we were USDA inspected. 
Um, and, and basically for that, they looked at my package and saw that bug on the, on the label. They wanted to check the temperature of all the product I had at the market, and they wanted certification of how I stored the product. Um, there are like with all regulators at times, um, some regulators that, that are easy to work with and others that um, think they have more power than, than what um, the statute suggests. Um, so, but, but basically they're involved in kind of the, the handling of the product um, from the distributor to the end user. So they're kind of like the enforcement agency or so to say the verification agency at those transition transactional yep. points. Yeah. And yep. so That's technically they would be able to audit if you pulled your truck up and unloaded the meat out and sold it to your neighbor and got cash, they would be the ones that would be involved in regulating that transaction. And they'd be involved if there were ever a food safety problem. Yeah. And then they would be ones tracing it doing yep. that, doing the boots on the ground, tracing of any kind of yep. foodborne illness outbreak. Yep. Okay. So, all right. So we just gave a bunch of reasons why not to do this. So then <laughs> when you're going to start, what, what, what's kind of the first thing you start looking for when you said, you know, I got I want to get the direct sales and I need a USDA inspective facilities. Did you have options in California and how did you go about navigating those options? Yeah, we we did at the time when we started, and those options are are um, more limited now than when we started. And I think there's some some really interesting economic reasons for that. Um, and I'd come back to that in a second. But um, we, over the course of the time that we direct marketed, used three three different processors for our lambs. So we started with a, a USDA processor in Stockton, um, used them one time and um, it was USDA inspected, but it was not, they were not set up to provide the kind of service that we needed. And they weren't really interested in providing the service that we needed. Um, and so it was a good, good um, lesson for me to understand that all USDA processing is not identical. Um, we also, um, for many, many years, in fact, I think we were probably among the first that used Superior for custom processing. Um, and they did a, a outstanding job for us. Um, really good product presentation, um, pretty easy to coordinate with. You know, the, the way the product looked when we got it back was just excellent quality of the packaging. We have also used, um, Wolfpack Meat, which is um, part of the University of Nevada, Reno. Um, and they're a USDA facility. We've mostly did mutton through them um, when we were trying to do some mutton products as well. And they did a good job for us too. It's always a little bit different using student labor um, who are learning <laughs> to cut and wrap on your product. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there, there were some options. Superior has just recently decided that um, they're only able to do custom processing now for lots of 50 lambs or more, um, which is, you know, for a lot of the small folks, it's tough to have a load of 50 lambs all finished at the same time and all have a home when you get the product back. And, um, and I absolutely it, get because there's a shelf, there's a shelf life to lamb. You can't just throw it in the freezer and sell it two years later. 
right? Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, one of the real challenges in all of this is that meat processing has always been organized on kind of a manufacturing model. So by that, I mean, you have this facility, they buy the raw product from producers, they convert the raw product to an end product, and the margin is how they make their profit. So they have a stake in that in that product chain, simply put. What what I needed them to do as a as a was small that a producer pun? was that a pun, Dan? <laughs> I I would never. Uh, they have a they have a stake in the product. That's, that was good. Took me a minute for a register, but that was a good one. Well placed, well played, sir. Every once in a while, I come up with one. Yeah. So sorry to cut you off. No, so they got no. got a stake in the product or in that that system. So what I needed them to do is provide a service, mm-hmm. and and economically it's tough for a company at any size to make enough money providing a service to cover their cost of labor and overhead and generate a profit. Well, and then also I think it's it's important to not overlook that they are providing a custom service for competitors in the retail space. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Which is a which is a is a is a issue depending on what you're selling into and where you're at. Yep. So. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I I think it's really easy from a producer's perspective to say we need more processing that would solve all of my problems. Um, and like everything I've ever done, it's never quite that simple. Yeah. You know, it's it's everybody's got to be profitable to make it work. And what most producers, myself included, really want is to do what I've always done and make a dime more when I sell my lambs. <laughs> Gosh, dang it. You figured that out. <laughs> that's, yeah. And that's, there's a lot of work that goes into selling meat. Yeah, you know, and I we've talked about it in a couple other episodes, I think, too. But like the the pro, like there's a reason why we don't have a lot of processing in the lamb industry anymore. Yeah, there's a lot of processors that went out of business over the last thirty years, and yep. there's a reason they're out of business, and other ones are still in business. And um, you know, everything everything changes with time, but it, it you know it, it's yeah, just like you're saying, you can't you can't just do the same thing and demand a dime more without you know, changing anything. So yeah, 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 that's interesting. Um, so, so back to kind of looking for, so you found a couple processors, you went through some trial and error. Um, what, what could you, would this be a good chance to maybe divert into like, what, what makes a good job and a bad job when you're, when you're evaluating, you know, a, a butcher doing his work or, or something like that? What are some of the telltale signs that this guy's not really paying attention or this one is doing a, doing a good job or. Yeah. Yeah. Telling the difference between a mistake and a habitual problem. Some of those kind of things. Yeah. You know, I think, I think, um, the, one of the differences between lamb and beef is that we have a much smaller, um, carcass to work with and and a more limited set of, of cuts that we're dealing with with lamb. Yeah. And so I think carcass yield becomes really important um, for lamb. So one of the one of the measures would be, you know, what is your live weight versus your carcass weight 
versus your retail weight. And on two or three lambs, you know, a, a pound or, or a pound and a half of difference um, from one processor to the other in your retail yield may not seem like much. And wh where would you lose? Where would you lose that? Where would you lose those couple of pounds on the actual carcass itself? Is it is it trim that's just getting trimmed off, or are they? You know, where where do they make those mistakes, or where's where's the difference? It's mostly trim. It's mostly trim, um, and it may be you know. So Superior was always a little bit lower yield than going someplace else, but it was primarily because Superior's meat cutters do such a beautiful job of making French tracks and and making uniform sized loin chops and those types of things that that there may be a little bit more fat trim in that and and they're going to give you the lean trim back there's no reason to give you the fat trim back mm -hmm. um, and so there was always a little slight difference in that i think part of it is just the appearance of the product and so looking at the gauge of the bags that they're using for their shrink wrap um, has some bearing on how the product looks when you get it back. You know, a thinner bag um, isn't going to conform to the shape of the meat cut quite as well. Bone guards are a huge issue, um, particularly with bone in, you know, with racks or chops. Um, nothing ruins your day like packing up to go to the farmer's market on a Saturday morning and have a bunch of broken bags that um, are, have got frostburn and and they're no longer sealed. Yeah. And so that's that's one of those issues. So the first processor that we went to was USDA inspected, but I didn't realize that they didn't sell any retail product. They sold entirely into food service. And the only bug that they put on their product was on the outside of the box of lamb. So I got 10 lambs processed with no weights on the cuts and no label on the cuts, which meant I couldn't sell them at the farmer's market. Oh man. And I didn't even know to ask that question. Yeah. So that's a good, that's a good, that's a good point. Um, I, it, it'd be interesting too, like on the fat trim side of things, the understanding the lamb you're sending makes a huge difference on that as well. Yeah. Cause you can leave yep. the fat on, have a higher box yield, but then you end up selling a rack with too much of a, too thick of a cap on it. And that yep. that takes that takes value away, but might add total dollars. And just understanding that side of it really gets to that that point you're kind of making. Yeah, it does. And I I think you know kind of the bigger picture with that is knowing how your animals are going to cut out in terms of the primal weights and percentages. Um, you know what percent's going to be in the leg, what percent's going to be shoulder. Um, those types of things help you figure out pricing and value. Um, and I think the other piece for lamb in particular, you know, with beef, you've got enough volume in the trim that you can do a ground product. Um, most of the processors won't do a ground lamb product unless they've got 100 to 150 pounds of trim. Yeah. And on my 10 lambs, they're not going to get that, you know, so it, either you get little chunks of trim back to sell to somebody or, or you do something else. Or grind up a shoulder. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. Um, what, so, um, how do you, how do you cost out, um, 
you know, how, how do you cost out a lamb that's been processed? Cause you have, you know, a lot of times when you do direct sales, you're looking at it at a farm gate value. You're, you're selling your farm gate lamb at a higher dollar per head, but there's a, there's right. a big cost that, and when, you, especially when you get into kind of these box yields, sellable products, the cost of breaking the things down, the labor and sorting that out, the time it takes to understand there's a lot of costs yeah. and things. So how do you kind of, how do you kind of start to put together an economic picture of what that is actually costing you and what kind of value capture do you need to receive when you start turning it into some kind of sale retail product? We could probably spend the next five episodes on that and get somebody that knows what they're talking about, but, but I'll, well, I I'll try. plan on doing about 12 seasons of this. So we got a lot of time. <laughs> we got time. Yeah. So I, the, the way I start kind of like the way you start with your breeding division versus your pasture division. Right. So I think you got to look at the meat business separately from the livestock business and the meat business has to buy the live, the live animal um, from the livestock business, at least on paper. I think, so what, what we have done and, and one of the reasons we're not doing much direct marketing anymore is that we, um, we've decided that if we were going to do a value added market, that it actually had to add value to what we were raising, that it just couldn't involve taking a live animal and putting it into cryovac, that that cryovac had to be worth more. And to figure that out, we also included, so we included obviously the cost of processing, um, but we also included the transportation cost of getting lambs to the plant and getting meat back from the plant the storage cost, the marketing cost, my time. And so I think, I think you have to look at it that way to determine whether it's, it makes more sense to sell a product as meat or to simply sell a live animal. Is there a, is, is there a value or a easy kind of, uh, I don't know, general rule on, on um, condemns, uh, unsell, un, unsold product. You know, if you take everything fab it all out, there's a percentage that probably won't get sold. You have the punctured vacuum sealed bags. You have gifts you give friends. You, you know, there, there's a percentage or there's a value there that needs to be paid yeah. for that can easily kind of not be anticipated properly or not be budgeted. Yeah, so... You I, we we were probably never operating at a scale where the condemns were an issue for us on lambs. Um, I think over the course, we probably did direct marketing for a decade. I had one ewe that was condemned, um, and we kind of factored that in and into trying to do ewes, that we were going to get one that, that wouldn't make it at some point. Um, but we never had that issue with lambs. There is kind of a loss factor, I think, in terms of, of um, you know, punctured bags or, or other products like that. I think the other thing that we started doing, so it's common at a farmer's market, at the end of the market, you go buy, you know, you go by the strawberry booth and say, I'll trade you lamb shoulder for a flat of strawberries. Um, everybody does that kind of trading. And what we started doing was putting a value on that trade so that we at least accounted for it. It wasn't, you know, we, we figured that into our economic model. 
Um, I think you got to value your time. Mm-hmm. And, and that's probably the biggest challenge for most direct marketers is to be honest with themselves about how much time the marketing is taking. Yeah. Hmm. And paying themselves for it. Yeah. Well, yeah. And a reasonable rate or competitive rate. Um, yeah. 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 So I'm, I'm going to jump back to kind of processing, but is, is there any kind of place you can go to figure out who USDA um, processing facilities are or where they're at or kind of just to, you know, somebody that has no idea where to start, but they want to do it right. How do they start looking? I'm going to put a plug in for cooperative extension. Um, most county extension offices are going to have an idea of, of who the USDA facilities are in the region. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got a website that needs to be updated now, but but has um, a list of a map, basically, of all the USDA inspected facilities. If you really want to geek out on it, you can call the local office of the Food Safety Inspection Service, which here in California is based in Alameda. And they have a published list of, um, they, they classify them by size, but they have a published list of all of the USDA inspected harvest facilities and fabrication facilities in the state. What about transport between those, between fab and, and slaughter facilities? How do you manage that? When I started, that was kind of, the wild west man nobody nobody even thought to ask it and if they did think to ask it they didn't want the answer so they didn't ask it anyway um, <laughs> is there regulations regulating it yeah. i guess is the other yeah so what what has started to happen now is that the plant inspectors at a usda plant will also take an interest in how that product's being transported um one of the real benefits at superior was that you could do everything in this in one plant and so your transportation was basically live animals in and retail product out. Now that they may want the fab to be done someplace else, that gets a little more challenging. And either you've got to have um, kind of a certified refrigerated transport, which a lot of the direct marketers are now running, or you've got a contract with somebody that's picking up at Superior and and delivering whole carcasses um, and that that's doable too and and actually is probably more cost effective on a time standpoint than than me running to dixon twice in a week yeah. to pick up product hmm and do you need that same certified carrier to move the retail product out theoretically yeah theoretically yep yeah yep I, I, not that anybody would ever do this. I, I have heard that um, it is possible to um, fill up your truck with ice chests and um, transport that product with no um, loss of temperature control in ice chests, but technically you're not supposed to do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it's, yeah, I've heard, I've heard crazier stories. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so, sure. <laughs> yeah, is, is what it is. Um, so I want to kind of jump back to the food safety side of things. What what are the aspects of a USDA inspected kill that they're looking for that helps to guarantee that clean or that you know that that 
that um, uh, non-infected or a guaranteed safe, healthy supply, you know, are they looking for, you know, are they looking for cleaning during the process or what, what makes it, you know, a clean, a clean process, I guess. Yeah. I think it'd be really interesting to have an inspector on the podcast at some point. Um, but, but my, this is my understanding. So there's kind of process controls and then there's individual animal inspections. And so all the plants have what are called hazard analysis and critical control points plans or, or HACCP plans. And that really spells out um, where those critical um, operations are and how they're going to maintain wholesomeness and cleanliness in those operations. So it's a cleaning schedule. Um, it's kind of the separation of different aspects of the process. Basically, um, it's, a, it's, a clean, it's a clean facility. And then a clean kill with then clean removals of different parts of the body or parts of the body, parts of the lamb carcass um, without, without cross contamination. So they're not mixing the lung. They're not mixing any chunk of the lung is going to mix with something else, or there's no part of this fluid that's going to mix into the rack there. It's a, Right. Make sure that, right. you know, that everything is coming out cleanly and independently, basically in a clean environment. And that actually starts in the pins. I mean, they'll do an inspection in the pins. Um, and, and if there's anything that looks suspect, they'll pull it out of the pins before it even goes into the plant. Yeah. Um, because then, then the, also go ahead. Oh, I was going to say then the set, I was going to say what you're going to say. The second part is the health of the animal itself. So any kind of infection yeah. on the animal and guaranteeing yep. that make, you know, there's no, there's no measles getting into the food supply chain. There's no bruised meat. There's no, which actually yeah. helps prevent any animal abuse uh, because if there's any um, visual appearance within that animal and that can't lie to you, if there's a bruise on it, that gets taken out of the food supply chain and yep. it's a zero back to whoever owned those lambs. So yep. that's yep. the other part of it is guaranteeing to make sure that these animals were raised in a healthy environment by looking at the actual health of that carcass. Yep. Yep. And then there's also an individual inspection of the internal organs. You know, they're, they're yep. looking at, at internal organs as well. The one condemned that we had with the U um, I, had, I think had sheep measles. Um, yeah. and so, you know, they're looking for those types of issues, liver flukes. Um, and sheep measles are basically, it's a, it's a infection that creates little cysts all over the inside of the carcass. And that, yeah. and that comes from, uh, parasites, right. From where like a, if a dog eats some old mutton, yep and gets yep. some of the worms from that sheep, then the worms that the dog then develops can pass the measles into the, into the lamb or the ewe, right? Those cysts are part of the life cycle of a tapeworm that lives in dogs. Exactly. In canines. Yep. Yeah. So worm your dogs. Yes, exactly. And don't feed raw mutton. To your dogs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Both. <laughs> Both. Yeah. <laughs> And then there's, you know, there's also inspection at the fab site. I mean, there's, there's kind of spot inspection, but then there's also all the HACCP controls about, mm-hmm. 
um, cleaning up between lots and temperature regulation and clean out temperature regulation. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not the same as quality grading, right? Which so is a, a separate whole... service that is, um, it, yeah. isn't it voluntary? It's voluntary and you pay for it. Yeah. So like a, the superior obviously does quality grading, but some of your small custom USDA inspected facilities won't have a, a meat grader grading the right. actual meat. Exactly. And so exactly. as a, as a producer or direct sales person, you can choose to find a service that has that grading. If you think you can add value through that grading or you just sell non-graded lamb, which would be <laughs> under a year old sheep. And, and with lamb, it's, it's, you know, what 90% of the lambs are going to grade choice anyway. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it's like 98. I think it's ridiculously yeah. high. So, yeah. which is one yeah. of the amazing things about lamb. Yeah. But I, I, the main, the main differentiation I think the grader provides is in the yield grades. So it's that back yep. cover and, yep. you know, to understand your yield grade, you know, if you have a yield grade four or five, you put in there, you're going to have lot more trim than if you have a two or even a one and yeah yeah that, that helps understand so, but that's more of the driving factor i think on the grading for sure yeah I, yeah definitely. definitely yeah so any um if we were to improve this system at all and work with our our uh, esteemed representative somewhere to craft legislation or create a better system to help um you know smaller producers be able to process things at an economic you know economically but then also make sure that it's economical for the processor what would be kind of some of the things you would hope to see or you think might help or maybe some of the things that are getting pushed right now that yeah, I think there's, um, this is only Dan Macon speaking, but I, I think there's a couple of things um, that, that have some potential. There is some legislation at the state level that would expand the, the beef exemption to other proteins, to lamb, goat, and pork, um, that would allow a certain number to be harvested on ranch and, and then fabricated in a custom facility. This is a total side, I, I, uh, side. But is there a difference in um, is there a difference in foodborne illness risk per type of animal? You know, are you more likely to get E. coli from pig than you are from lamb versus goat versus chicken? I think the risk is different. Yeah, I know there's different. preconceived ideas about it. I just yeah. I'm curious if it's a if there's truth behind any of those. I think the the at the individual animal processing level, doing a good job means you're doing a good job. I think mm -hmm. the pathogens are different. Maybe at a large scale, the risk is a little bit different, but I think the principles of, um, you know, separating the inside part of the process from the outside part of the process, yeah. um, controlling temperature, those types of things are fairly universal. Uh, that's a that's a good question. I don't. There there probably are some differences, but they they may not be what we perceive them to be. <laughs> yeah, that's like most things. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 
So I, I um, do think that that state legislation is a is a something worth looking at. Um, I think the other piece of it, which is is probably a pipe dream because um, it's horribly difficult to do. You know, we're all all everybody that's direct marketing is duplicating all of the labor efforts of transportation, storage, marketing, sales, distribution. Wouldn't it make some sense if we cooperated a little bit on some of those functions that could maybe maybe be done more efficiently if they were centralized? Um, and so, yeah. But then I couldn't. Couldn't you argue that that's that's um, that's what distributors are currently doing? You yep. know, I mean, and that that's why yep. they do what they do is they they got good at they got good at that, and that takes yep. that takes passion, that takes some ingenuity. I was I was shocked. Yep. I think yesterday or last week I was coming home from swim practice with my daughter and I ordered a pair of goggles on the inner, on the Amazon and the next day by 10 in the morning. So less than a day, they were sitting on my front door. <laughs> <laughs> so the logistics are getting better. We're getting way better at it. Yeah. And I'm sure there's, yeah. I'm sure there's some opportunity for some, you know, some smart people smarter than me to make a good business out of that. But I, I think it's, it, it gets back to some of those, you know, those pr business principles that we talk about so much, you know, understand yep. what you're doing. Don't lie to yourself and say that, you know, compacting everything together and saying that you're, you're doing it because of this, but really look at it and, you know, try to do the best you can. I mean, you know, one of the answers, which is really difficult, I think, one of the answers to that superior um, cap in the the size of the lot to fifty. One of the one of the answers to that is to create a kind of a co-op pool or you know a pool exactly that you'd go exactly. in and you get them custom processed as a pool now, rather than and you have to have some you know defined rate, you know rules on how you handle it and because yep. they're going to treat it as one lot and commingle everything and you need to make sure that there's quality control and you have to have a livestock guy to make sure that you know, people are yep. sending similar products. So there's no discrepancy where you're sending in 105 pound Dorpers and you're getting back 160 pound Suffolk racks. <laughs> you got to make sure there's equity yep. and all that. But, um, you know, once again, any change creates opportunity and, and you got to be a little, little creative and look into it. Um, well, and then I it's also the an opportunity for some, it's opportunity for some of these other processors to step up and take up some of that business. So. I agree. And I think the technology that we're starting to see people use that can be carried through from the live animal to the end product, you know, electronic ID and, and source verification and those types of things, maybe it will facilitate some of that increased cooperation. Yeah. Um, so I think, do I you think, think there's opportunity there. Do you think we're ever going to be at a spot where they allow uh, custom you know, a custom, a custom kill on the ranch to be sold to the neighbor? Or is that too much food safety risk? Yeah, that's what the beef program is, yeah. essentially. The exemption? You know, it's essentially that exemption allow, would allow you to sell your neighbor in product from yeah. a ranch slaughter. Um, and I how, think how has that program been received in the beef industry? There are people using it. People yeah. using it now. I don't know if you asked um, the processors 
how they've received it. Um, well, because there, there's been a lot of our individual producers using it. Because it seems that like there's a lot of people that um, that are creating a business by these direct sales, and then they get frustrated at the USDA inspection. So then they use this exemption to then process, but then they hit that cap. But they want to grow their business, but they don't want to go the USDA route because they feel they're getting um, pushed around by the big guy, which has some truth yeah. to that. Yeah. Yeah, but then there's also the truth to the fact that as you grow your sales, you do need to be compliant with these larger rules. And so I don't know if there's a way to come up with like a transitional funding support thing for these growing companies to learn how to do it, uh, you know, with the exception. I, I don't know. I just, I'm yeah. spitballing, but. Yeah. I, I, and I think part of that, part of hitting up against that, that volume barrier is um, you get to 300 steers a year, you better have somebody whose sole job is to make sure the, the freezer empties out that you're selling every piece of meat you process. Yeah. And, and that's not going to be the guy preg checking cows and moving fence and irrigating. It's a full-time job. Yeah. I mean, that kind of really gets to the art of what you're doing and understanding the business that you're in. And if you're yeah. growing this meat business to where it's becoming a legitimate meat business where you're selling yeah. 300 steers or convert that to lamb would be, I don't know, 2000 lambs a year. That That's yeah. a much, that's a much different business that you're running than raising yeah. sheep on pasture. Yeah. And you have to, you have to anticipate growth. You have to know where you're going to do when you reach the limits of the people you're working with. And uh, yeah, well, it's, it, that's kind of the fun of business and growing a business is overcoming those challenges. Yeah, but. yeah exactly. Or, or coming through a logical conclusion that, that you're better off doing what you've yeah. always been doing. Too, that, that's you know? navigating those things. I mean, we, exactly. we did, we did some direct sales for a year or so and, we chose to stop it just because it didn't fit the business model that we were running. Um, yep. you know, and then somebody else took those accounts we were supplying and are doing four times the business that we were doing. And so, yep. you know, yep. they, they, they were modeled to fit it. We weren't, so they're successful at that. We're successful in not doing that. And yeah, yep. it's just, it's a matter of understanding, understanding what your goals are and, and anticipating growth and, understanding the partners you're working with and where your weaknesses are as a company. I think this, that, that change in the rule, that 50 slaughter uh, minimum, I, I, that's a, that's a, that's a tough deal for somebody that's using that. But then at the same time, you should have, you need to always be aware that that's a risk your business has that, you, you know, yep. anybody who's custom killing with a, with it, with anybody, you can take Superior Farms or you can put another name on there. All those processors are also selling meat. So yep. if they feel that they, that this custom business is taking away from their company profitability because they're losing accounts, that that's a risk. That's it's an opportunity well, to work I, together. I, yep, but and it's I also would even a risk. That around a, a different direction. I don't know that my hundred lambs a year was a threat to superior in terms mm -hmm. of market. It was people that were not going to buy lamb at the, at the grocery store. Absolutely. But it absolutely was a pain in the rear for superior to deal with my 10 lambs every month and 
make sure that they kept all that product separate and that they dealt with my cutting instructions and my pricing. And, you know, why, why would you want to do that a hundred times over to build volume through your plant versus work with one person that's going to bring a thousand lambs a month? Yeah. And it's, it's supply demand driven. Sheep consumption has been going up. The growth in these direct markets have been growing up. And so to yep. mirror that growth and the demand on their plant, um, they're, they're adjusting their system to be more efficient and maintain that they're still in business. So that way, when demand drops off, they can open it back up. If they Absolutely. didn't do it, they might not ever be able to open it back. You know, it's, it's, it's not a, the, the worst thing you can do is blame somebody else when you have a problem. And um, yep. you, even if they're the ones that created it, you still have the problem and have to get over it and figure out a way through it. And if you spend time, I tell my kids this all the time, you spend too much time trying to blame somebody, you end up getting nothing done, but pissing everybody off. So you got, <laughs> you got to just put your head down and move and, and deal with whatever problems in front of you. And, and I think that's true in a lot of stuff. You, you gotta, yeah. don't point, don't point the finger and blame and, and, uh, and figure out what you're good at doing. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I think, so I think that's brilliant what you just said, Ryan, about, you decided not to do it and you're successful. Somebody picked up your accounts and decided to do it and they're successful. So yeah. great for everybody. Great for everybody. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And we're all still in business and that's the, that's the most important part. That's yeah. a healthy industry. That's a healthy, yeah, it's a healthy that's thing. Right. That's so, right. That's right. Yeah. Well, we're coming up on the clock. I got to take Michaela to swim, so I got to run. But uh, this was a fun conversation. I really enjoyed it. I'd love to pick apart this this uh, topic a little bit more and uh, appreciate it, as always. Thank you. Always fun. Yeah. Good, good conversation. This is Sheep Stuff You Should Know. I'm Dan Macon up in Auburn. Ryan Mahoney out of California. See you later. Take care.